2: Hello and welcome to Making It So, Picard Reviewed. I'm Mike
3: Mann. With me as always, Josh Bald. Yes, sir. It's a little scratchy-throated Josh Bald today. I lost my voice early in the week. Uh, One of the great things about my job, Mike, is I get picked to do things at assemblies in front of uh, hundreds of children. And this week, it was my privilege to read The Cat in the Hat uh, as loud as I could to Mm. hundreds of children. Wow. And I was the cat. Fantastic. And I did not like that. No. Uh, but that caused me to lose my voice, and I'm slowly getting it back.
2: I'm glad to hear it. I thought it might have been the uh, bunny corn sausage. Maybe mm. the uh, venom sack
3: wasn't cut out. You know, that gets you every time if you're not careful. Kids, cut out the venom sack. Cut out the venom sack. Life advice uh, that applies to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, Mike. Yeah, Josh. Hey, I have, uh, I have some trek news for us before we get into the episode of Nepenthe oh wow wonderful let's hear it yeah just uh, hot off the presses i'm holding it in my hand on an electronic <laughs> device <so
1: it's, laughs> yeah. so it doesn't
3: sound like a newspaper rattling <laughs> it doesn't sound like a newspaper <laughs> rustling or anything <laughs> season two of picard the story is broken and i know that doesn't sound like a good thing but it is they know their story uh, michael chabon reports on the official star trek picard podcast which i'm sure everybody listens to and he is going to write two episodes Oh, um, right. Yeah. He also revealed that he's going to find six more TNG characters to kill. Oh, come on. I know. On. What a jerk. Well, there's a story, and uh, I guess we'll, we'll find out more about it as bits and pieces drop. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah. At least they have a story. It's already broken this time uh, before they started
3: filming. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Before we look forward to season two, we have to continue with season one, which is in front of our very eyes. So let's You're talk right. about- Episode seven, Nepente. What do you know about it, Mike?
2: Nepenthe, a uh, little known uh, Latin translation here. means no plot. Oh, wow, wow. Yeah, no I, plot. Nepenthe. I no
3: oh, okay. Mm-hmm. It's linguistically similar.
2: Interesting. It is linguistically
3: mm. silamer. Silimer. yes. Silamer. Yeah. It's, oh. a, it's a linguistic silamer. You were there, Mike, when they signed the Silamer Accords. Yes. <laughs> 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 um, oh Lord, we're going to um, have to sign some kind of accords with our fans after this.
2: Yes, Nepenthe was written by uh, showrunner Michael Shabon and Samantha Humphrey, and it was directed by Doug Ernie Hey,
3: high five on the on the pronunciation. I think I got that right. Thing is, nobody says uh, nobody ever says those people's names out loud, so you never know. It's true; <laughs> <laughs> they're an anonymous lot, you know those directors. It's quite the last name A A R. N-I-O-K-O-S-K-I. Wow. You know that substitute teacher on Key and Peele? Oh, man, yeah. that kid would have been expelled. Yes. You done messed up. A-A-R-N-Y-S-K-Q, <laughs> Q, whatever.
0: What
2: was the plot of this episode, Josh?
3: So to make certain, Mike, that you actually viewed the episode in Pentay, here's your plot quiz. All right, Please. I'm ready. Is the plot of Nepente A- A backdoor pilot for Star Trek Kestra. Mm. Mm, yeah. Is it B, Jurati learns a lesson about taking candy from strangers? Uh Uh Uh-huh. Or is it C, a tearful reunion with old friends yields strife with Picard's new friend, but reveals information about Soji's home world? there you go. That's kind of what it was. It's kind of what it was because (laughs) nobody really knows. And not much else happened in this show. All right. Well, the good news is there are plenty of canon connections.
2: Uh, The bunny corn is another horned beast, like the dog with a horn in the original series, the episode The Enemy Within. If you haven't seen that dog with a horn, it's a meme. (laughs) They pretty much put a horn on a dog. And made it a different
3: species. And the bunny corn was reminiscent of that to me. Absolutely reminiscent.
2: Uh, Picard mentions his artificial heart. Good one. Which was first seen in The Samaritan Snare. Right. Uh, Kestra is named after Kestra Troy, Deanna's dead sister. Right. From the episode Dark Page. Ooh. Riker cooks again in this show. Oh, no. (laughs) His last appearance in Star Trek was him taking on the role of chef aboard the Enterprise in X01 in the holodeck uh, for the Enterprise's finale there. Very good. And Agnes mentions a Gormagander. Which appeared in the Discovery
3: episode, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad. Oh, that's where that was from. I couldn't place it, and I didn't look it up. Well, there you go, sir. Well, thank you for that. Um, I have a few that are more towards our uh, TNG folk. Uh, characters. You, re- you referenced uh, Picard's reference to his artificial heart. We also know that he got that as a result of a tussle with a Nausicaan when he's at the academy. And then uh, Kestra starts peppering Soji with questions that have absolutely everything to do with Data. Do you play the violin? We've seen him play the violin. But he, uh, you know, he lacks soul. Does Soji like Sherlock Holmes? Well, Data does. Can she run fast, jump high, and bend steel? We've seen Data be stronger than Worf on many an occasion, which is always fun, and probably emasculating for Worf. And somewhere in the episode, she talks about making people laugh, which has to be uh, a a reference to Data trying stand-up comedy with the help of Joe Piscopo. Oh, sure. Um, And here's what I'm hoping for later on when Soji is safe, because that's how it ends, guys. She's safe. Um, She tries out stand-up comedy herself because that's in her Android DNA. And there's a comedy sequel episode where she talks to Paula Poundstone and Maria Bamford. (laughs) So that's coming. Be, Be ready for that.
2: Wow! Hi, Miles. How are you? Yeah, I was just going to say. I heard Miles there. <laughs> He's having a hard time going to sleep, folks. Sorry. Uh,
3: that was the primal scream. Uh, so the the other one I have, and I had to look this one up because Riker mentioned they were having trouble with the uh, Kazinti. Uh, that's a feline race that's actually that actually appears in the animated series. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So that's a fun one, and. Like I said, I had to look that one up, but I wanted to know because I knew it was something that had either been mentioned in passing or uh, only diehards would really get. And I haven't watched the animated series, so.
2: It's interesting that there's such a trouble
3: to them that they have to have shields on their perimeters. <laughs> right. So either it's happening on the planet or they're, they're showing up off-world and making trouble. But I would guess it's happening on the planet itself. Yeah. Those, those little feline troublemakers. They're probably eating all the bunny corns. I guess so. Well, that's gotta be it. What else would it be? Are they are they just showing up and peeing on Riker's rug?
2: <laughs> Scratching up all of his stuff.
3: <laughs> Knocking over his trombone. Oh. Mortal sin, Kazinti. That that's that's shields up right now. Red alert. Yeah. Alright, so we got our can of connections. What happens though, Mike, if we missed one? And I'm sure we did.
2: Hashtag missed connections. Well, if we missed one, please email us at makingitsoapod at gmail.com or tag us at makingitsoapod using the hashtag MissConnection, and we'll air it on the next episode and give you credit. That's Our what s- you want,
3: folks. You want credit. Exactly. So come get it. We won't give you any credits, though. No, no latinum either. I have absolutely zero slips, strips, bars, bricks of latinum. I have but the screams of my child to (laughs) trade you. To offer you in exchange. (laughs) Yes. Please enjoy the sounds of Miles Picard, man.
2: What's the matter with you?
3: You know, I, uh, I... Had trouble figuring out a theme for this one. Same. I, I have a list. I thought, uh, okay, we all need to find our own homeworld or none of this is real. Yeah. Picard, don't be a dick. I'm not entirely sure what the theme is.
2: Yeah, I was thinking of something with the homeworld, but it didn't seem to really,
3: none of them really go all the way through yeah. and kind of touch on everything. Yeah. Maybe, it, maybe the theme is it, it, it takes a village to raise the child from the delusion that they were once human and now are an android and must embrace it. I was
2: thinking about something about asking for help because, you know, Picard needs to ask for help and then at the end, Eleanor calls for
3: help. Oh, sure. Okay, seeking help. And Jurati helps herself uh, to some kind of uranium injection. Yeah. (laughs) After a giant helping of cake.
2: Yes.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but she does get helped by Raffi, sort of. (laughs) She does sort of seek help or Raffi offers it, but we'll get into this.
2: What did we think of this show?
3: So we're going to do it a little bit different this week. We're going to start with the flashback, of course, because that's pretty darn important. But we're going to go location by location this week. I think we're going to start in the Borg Cube, talk about what happened there. Then we're going to go to La Serena, see what was going on right there. Or as Rio says, uh, appropriately, La Serena. I love the way he says it. It just rolls right off the tongue. And then we're going to go to Nepente, where the bulk of our story is. So uh, let's start with the flashback. What's going on there, Mike?
2: Well, yeah, the flashback is uh, a little more of what we saw from Agnes and Commodore O. We get to see that conversation, and Commodore O is there to recruit Agnes. Uh, She mind
3: melds with her. Uh, Without consent, I might add. Yeah, it was a rather aggressive mind meld. I would say so. Um, So when she mind melds, I don't know if you, you tried to catch some stills. I did, and here's what I saw. I saw a hooded Commodore O wearing the black hood. There were 10 or 11 figures with black uh, black hoods, but uh, the, whole, the whole shebang there, covered in black, standing in a circle of stones. And then there was a bright light in the middle of them as though it were an explosion. And then there were some explosions on the surface of an M-class planet. We're not sure which one. And then somebody who looks like O uh, has green acid on their face, writhing in pain. Then we see cities exploding. And then a Vulcan or a Romulan, I'm not sure, shooting themselves in the temple with a disruptor and green blood coming out the other side. It was pretty graphic. Kind of mm-hmm. liked it. Yeah. And that's allegedly what will happen if synths are allowed to exist. So here's my question. Does Commodore O know the future? Or is she just showing gerardi what she thinks is going to happen?
2: Right. Which is what I gathered it was. Right. Which makes me think, why
3: would Agnes just believe this hook line and singer yes so there's there's something weird going on there because in, and, I, and i don't know about mind melds but it it doesn't make too much sense to me that i suppose i could project what i imagine is going to happen to another person if i mind melded with them if i was vulcan so i suppose that makes sense i suppose it tracks but if it turns out that oh is from the future i'm going to be upset
2: i i don't i don't see that i i definitely see it more as um what Oh, imagines is going to happen. But yeah, even there is
3: still it's it's kind of weird. I don't know. It is kind of weird. Did you notice, too, when she she took off her sunglasses, right? Right. And she didn't she didn't hiss and scuttle for shade or anything like that. She didn't, uh, we didn't see her pupils, <laughs> you know, narrow incredibly quickly. So I assume the sunglasses were a feint by the writers just to get us talking and be coy about it so that we would have something to put hashtags on on Twitter. Yeah. Good for yeah. you, writers. You got us. Or uh, she just likes to look villainous, like Morgan suggested. That's true. Maybe she just thought, you know, if I show up in sunglasses, this girl going to talk. Right. We'll see. I, I, well, and she did. So and, and you're right. Gerardi just goes, oh, you're your Commodore. Oh, and you have questions about Picard. I will answer your questions. Right. <laughs> Hook, line and sinker, like you said. And then and then the Commodore says, eat this. And Jurati. Yeah. Oh, okay. And it's some sort of oral tracker. Right. Uh, so Gerardi missed the after school special when she was a kid. Right. Oh, jeez, Agnes. Um, kind of cool, though, that this tiny little tracker, you would chew it up and swallow it and it would stay in your gut or in your tract and be able to send out some kind of homing signal. That's neat.
2: I guess that's neat. Is that neat?
3: I guess. Well, I think it works when, uh, you know, it'll work for Miles as he's getting older and becoming more independent, and you want to know where he's going. Sure, sure. You know, he'll figure out how to turn GPS off on his phone eventually.
2: Yeah, and he'll just uh, have to trust these little uh, triangles that I feed him.
3: (laughs) (laughs) None of the other kids at school said I had to do this. You know, like, (laughs) my dad doesn't make me, they said. So... So that was our flashback. Pretty cool. We finally got the rest of that conversation with Jurati. I'm, it
2: it, it almost asks more questions than it answers. Interesting. Well, I suppose that's what they
3: want. It's a mystery box show. Right. Yeah.
2: But yeah, definitely uh, intrigued
3: by this vision of the future and where it came from. Yeah. And I suppose we'll find out more as more secrets are revealed and the crew makes their way through. Let's warp over to the Borg Cube. First of all, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this before we say anything else. Uh, Jonathan Del Arco, props to you, dude. You acted the hell out of this episode all the way through. Oh yeah. So the interrogation part and his reactions to the deaths of the XBs, and then later on when he's when he's sitting there on the floor, cross legged around them. Oh man, Ugh. quite good. He's quite good, and it's a shame he's gone now.
2: <laughs> it very much is a shame. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, I guess we'll get to that. Yep. We start with Narissa executing an XB. Uh, to torture information out of Hugh. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't get any, so she grows bored and decides to have all the XBs killed.
3: Yeah. All the ones that were standing there, at least. Yeah. So she does a couple of things here because she shows her fangs. Just shooting one of the XBs in cold blood. You know, we know she's bad. We know she's going to do something like that. And then just that flippant response of, well, I'm bored. Kill them Right. All. Then she gives him the, the because of you thing, which I do to but in case you don't know, I'm a middle school teacher. I do that to my kids all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if they're if they're talking out of turn and and I'm waiting for them, I go all our time is being wasted because of you. I do that all the time <laughs> Use nice. the because of you tag a lot. It's great. Well, then do you tell them that they'd ki- you'd kill them, too, if it wasn't for a treaty? I did my I did my training this year on ethics. Uh, no, no telling them you can't kill them because they're a protected class. So, OK, wow. all right. So she spares them for now. Right? At the at the outset, she spares yeah. him because he's Federation. He's protected by that awful treaty. Right. Yeah. So uh, at this point, I'm thinking, okay, she's terrible. She deserves come up in. She's done quite enough at this point. Right. So. <laughs> uh, and it goes. It goes. It goes further. It goes yeah. further.
2: And at this point, we also see Narek getting in his uh, fighter ship and
3: that he's ready to go track yeah. the, the Serena. That's a cool little ship. I don't know if we've seen that kind of ship before. No. It's definitely a new cool little ship. So he takes off and they uh, release the La Serena from the tractor beam. Yeah. Let's see what else happens on the board. cube. Well, we've got Elnor. He stays to help Hugh, obviously. And Hugh, like we said, plays up his devastation. Or I should say Jonathan Del Arco plays up Hugh's devastation perfectly. You know, there's a lot of talk about the emotional heft of this episode. And I think this is one of the places where it is. And this is one of the stronger places where it is. Uh, yeah. Some of you may not like what I'm gonna say later on about the other parts that are indicating emotional heft. But this for me, this is the one. Like I said, Del Arco, you killed it. You know, the tremble in his voice, in his lower jaw when he's being interrogated and the XBs are being killed. And here's the thing, we're finding we're finally seeing some redeeming characteristics uh in some of the characters in this. Now, Hugh is essentially a saint. Right. But Eleanor, we're finally seeing some redeeming characteristics in him. He's not just a naive kid. He's going to stick around and help because that's where he's needed the most. Right. So he's we're getting some development from him. You know, he was crazy to stay, but also brave, as was noted. And maybe it didn't make sense for him to stay in the larger picture, but he saw people in need.
2: Right, right. Which makes me wonder, where was Elnor when Hugh was getting interrogated and all this stuff happened? Like, how did they get separated
3: and Hugh got under the grips of Nerissa? Right. I'm curious about that, too, because I suppose if I suppose if he's at gunpoint, he being Hugh, Elnor doesn't know that Hugh's protected by the treaty. But also, if Elnor starts cutting up Romulans, Nerissa will probably kill Hugh. Right? Because it's an act of war or something. That's my guess. Right. So maybe he was hiding and watching. It probably paid him to do so. Or maybe he was fleeing other security forces and trying to remain in the shadows. I guess so. I'm going to guess he was staying in the shadows just to keep you safe. Because maybe, okay. you know, he he killed those guys. Because I think Narissa mentions mentioned, excuse me, that uh, three security guards were mysteriously dead where he was standing. So I assume Elnor killed him and hid Right. I still don't understand why Elnor would stay with Hugh to begin with, because if
2: his whole gig is protecting Picard, I mean,
3: doesn't he need to be with them (laughs) to do that? Yeah, I'm not sure either what his motivation was, other than perhaps this was the lost cause du jour. (laughs) He's just jumping between them. I guess so. (laughs) My help is needed here is essentially what he said.
2: He's like that meme of a guy looking at another girl. He's like, ooh, another lost cause. Oh, yeah. Mike,
3: make that. Oh, we'll be famous. Next on the Cube, when we come back after going away for a while, uh, Hugh and – I'm sorry. Hugh. I'm going to say it right. Hugh and Eleanor are walking and talking, and we hear Hugh say that there's – uh, some of something else in the queen's chamber, and he said he was uh, attempt. He had forgotten about the power in there and had because he didn't want to be tempted to use it. And he does say we're going to take this cube away from them forever. So it's right. not the the trans. What is it? You remember what it is? What's that device? The uh, spatial trajectory. The trajectory. I almost said transmogrifier, and it was going to be a Calvin and Hobbes moment for him. <laughs> <laughs> So, so it's not the trajectory. There's something else in that room. And we don't know what awesome power it is that can take the cube away from them forever. So right. there's another laying that little, laying that little egg there.
2: Oh, I've got another little canon connection here. Oh please,
3: Nerissa says that's open insurrection. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wonder if that was intentional. We'll see. Anytime you're writing insurrection into a Starship script, you must know a little bit. You've got to know that people are gonna, their ears are gonna prick up. Although I didn't catch it the first time or the second time. Well, there you go. So, so they, yeah. So, Narissa confronts them. She says, "Open insurrection! Now I can kill you!" And the right. fight is on. The coolest part to me is that Elnor is very good at parkour. Yes, <laughs> running up the walls and around. And they, you know, he shows he's a great fighter, of course, and he protects Hugh. They said the Zodvash doesn't fight the
2: Quatmalot like that. They fight hand to hand. Right. That was cool.
3: I guess so. That was a good little thing to yeah. me at least.
2: I guess uh, this did finally confirm that she is Zotvash.
3: Yeah. Right. And she even says that she didn't expect a Kawat Malat to be there, which right. is fantastic. So so even she could be surprised by something. Right. Um, the lady with all the information. So there's a pretty good fight scene and then Nerissa does something awful and the writers do something even worse. Hugh passes beyond this mortal coil. He does. Yeah. And Miles clearly was upset by that moment. Yeah. <laughs> God. He's, <laughs> he's having a time of it tonight. Oh, man. So here's the thing about that part. Hugh, I said, he's the only shining light in the series right now. Yes. Right? And he's now he's just among the number dead that Picard is leaving in his wake. So <laughs> I was sad for Hugh, but I wasn't – that's not where my emotions went. I wasn't sad for Hugh. I wasn't cursing Nerissa's name because I already know she's terrible. I wasn't okay. even feeling bad for Elnor because so far he just keeps losing. I was actually just mad at the writers. I just went, are you, I actually said the, my, my first viewing, I said, no, you can't do this.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I straight said yeah. that.
3: Um, so, and I don't think it was a case of, you know, in some TV shows, the writers like to go, Hey, don't get too attached to your characters. Cause they might die, you know, in one of those ensemble shows right. where people go missing. Right or just right, disappear. Right. I just think they wanted to really shock us. I think they just wanted to pull the rug. I think they wanted us to really, they really wanted to punch us in the gut.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's possible. Um, it, it didn't seem to have a purpose really.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it didn't m- motivate Elnor to do anything. Yeah. And how is it going to, uh, how is it supposed to motivate the quest? Cause we already know that the quest is on and these people are motivated anyway. Right.
2: Yeah, I, I
3: I don't like it either. I don't care for it. Yeah, and it's not just because I really like the character, and I do. I just don't. I don't. You know, I do have that emotional connection with him, and we're supposed to. And that's, I guess, why we're supposed to be pissed off that he's dead. So they did their job. I guess they manipulated me enough <laughs> to want to talk about it like this. Ah, Jaybon, you did it again. Shabon, you beautiful bastard. Yes. So, but you know, big picture again, I just don't see the point. <sighs> C'est la vie. Well, for those of us that are still alive. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then the last part on the cube is we see Elnor kind of skulking around. He seems broken. He seems defeated. He kind of goes fetal. Seemingly. Yeah. Uh, and while he's sitting there, rueing his decision, he ever so conveniently looks up and finds... Fenris Rangers thing. Yeah, the little calling card, which we assume is sevens, considering Picard had one of her cards. Right. Uh, so, but this, this part to me, once again, he is becoming one of the more redeeming characters to me. Okay. He's just a kid. He's 17. He, the other thing is he really likes seven. Remember in earlier episodes, he's like, Ooh, like seven of nine, you know, he he likes seven. Maybe that's the dynamic duo that we're supposed to be rooting for as opposed to the Hugh Elnor team up. Yeah. I I I didn't watch the preview, so I don't know if they even tease that at all. And please don't tell me. Okay. So... Um, maybe that's what we get. We get the uh, seven Elnor team up that nobody asked for. Wow. <laughs> well, And I don't mean that in a, in a pejorative way. I just mean like, I don't think anybody saw that coming. I agree. Uh, I don't think that that was a duo that people would have put together at the start of the yeah. series. And that's it for the board cube. Really not a ton happens there. So I guess we can warp over to La Serena because uh, Jurati is telling us where it is. Uh, so we're, I guess we, we catch up with them in the tractor beam of the Romulans trying to escape. Yes. And, uh, then they're let out of the tractor beam. But one thing that does happen when they are trying to escape the tractor beam is that Raffi is um, trying to figure out what's going on with it. And she noticed that there's a lot of Borg language interspersed uh, in the coding that she's trying to break. Um, so, and it's those, those circles, the concentric circles or the interspersed circles or the overlapping circles. Did you notice that right. spot? Yeah. Yeah. Cause those come up a lot in this episode and circles are coming up a lot throughout this series. So, and there's a, there's another key moment later where circles come into play, but uh, that was our first one. Our first instance of that for this episode, do you have a theory as to what the circles are all about? Um, I'm going to borrow it from something I saw on Twitter, but I'm going to further it a little bit, I think uh, that's all we see they get they get away, like you said they're they're released. Gerardi's freaking out, um you know, suggesting that, why don't you ask? Yes, that always works with Romulans., Jurati.
2: yeah, or, just ask him to let us go. yeah, <laughs> work, you
3: know her actually, her reasoning is sound. They want Picardi's not on the ship, but right. Uh, we know that the Romulans don't just let anybody go right (laughs) so when they do finally let him go there's Neric, and you know the the best part is when we check in with them again and they find out that Neric's on their tail rios makes it sound like he's going to do something very clever to evade narek the first time yeah like he's going to do some sort of incredible maneuver yes and then all he does is drop out of warp (laughs) yes (laughs) so that was really funny and i'm sure that was intentional uh that was very funny to me because then they just sit there and rafi's like okay So now what? (laughs) Now we wait for him to go over us. He's just going (laughs) to overshoot us and then we're going to find an alternate route. Yeah. Uh huh. It's such an elementary move. Uh, It's so funny. Yeah. Uh, And while they're sitting there, Gerardi's starting to lose it um, because she really has that visceral reaction as soon as Rafi mentions Soji. Then they're both. What's kind of cool is they're both starting to, Rios and Rafi are both starting to get on Gerardi's case at that point. Oh, yes. Um, Rios just says, hey, you just tagged along. And then Rafi gives him that look, that nonverbal communication. That was great. The, like I said, I've said this before. There are a lot of these great little moments in this series so far. That's one of my favorites where Rafi and Rios give each other a look and Rios uh, nonverbally says, OK, you take the lead on this one. You know, and then it's Mama Rafi.
2: Right, <laughs> right, right. How they're
3: going to deal with her. Right. And uh, she's going to hook her up some cake going to hook her up, some cake. Great line. A very Girati line. <laughs> so she's yeah, still in there. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, even though she's falling apart, she's still in there somewhere. Is it cake? <laughs> uh, and then then we cut away, we go elsewhere, but when we come back, we've got Gerardi getting cake and and Rafi's saying, hey, you know, I'm not perfect. We all know that, but I really like that Rafi doesn't get too many words in before Gerardi just crumbles. Yeah. Uh, because we're Jurati's really broken up about this obviously. And it's it's really hard. She's she's got to say something or do something. She's getting closer and closer to the edge, and it doesn't take much uh, for her to do that.
2: Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I got nothing to add there.
3: Well, we got a, we also got a pretty good stinger on there where Rafi calls for the EHH. <laughs> you know, we have a uh, what did she say? We have oh, a, a hospitality emergency or yeah, we have a hospitality it? emergency here. <laughs> yeah, because uh, she's not going to clean that up. Because after she threw up, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Gerardi pukes twice in this episode. Which is uh, something. I would love to tweet at Allison Pill and ask her how that felt to have to uh, vomit so much for Picard. <laughs> <laughs> the things I do for this series. I puked for Picard. <laughs> <laughs> and what thanks do I get? I'm a villain. <laughs> uh. Uh, so the last part on La Serena, uh, after many attempts to evade Narek... And coming up unsuccessful, Rios is starting to suspect Rafi, or at least that's what he tells Jurati.
2: Right. Um, well, first. Uh, oh, yes. No, yes. You're right. Rios is starting to suspect Rafi, um, And
3: that's no good. Agnes has a lot of guilt over this. Right. Over everything. Right. And she, she does her best to put the kibosh on that, but he's not buying it. Um, and, right. And once again, like his reasoning is essentially it's it's flawed because we know what happened. It's another case of us saying to a character, no, that's not it, because we already know. But at least his reasoning is sensible because she had her little mystery trip on Free Cloud. So he's thinking, even, sure. you know, not that she is betraying them, but maybe the Romulans put a device on her. Right. Yeah. Anything could have happened down there. Yeah. Yeah. So it does make sense. Uh, to that to that length. And I do appreciate that that Rios is trying to do this work to figure this out. And it he's casting his suspicions in the wrong direction, which is probably going to make for some kind of confrontation later. But that's fine because these two well, are old friends. And we'll see what happens when things come to a head between them, if they do. Because like he says, Agnes hasn't left the ship since she's been on board. Right. And he has no idea well, what she was up to beforehand because right. she showed up with Picard. So he assumes uh, that she's legit. Right. Um, So although uh, very early on, uh, Picard didn't know that there was trouble on Vashti. So Rio should be thinking, does this guy know what he's doing? Who are these people? So, (laughs) There's something very important that happens next. Yes, Um, you're right. La Serena. So Jurati uh, replicates some kind of tool that's going to dispense uranium and she poisons herself to turn off the tracker. Yes. So f- things have finally reached uh, a point where she has to act and she is taken to doing something to herself so that uh, so that the Romulans can't track her. And then, of course, we we get the obligatory scene in which things go dark for Narek and he curses and hits the ceiling. That was fun. Right. It was nice to see him confounded. But we the best part is we're seeing Gerardi finally fighting back against her bad decisions because she's made a ton of bad decisions up to this point because of what Commodore O oh showed her whether it's truthful or not.
2: I don't know. I just don't know if I'm buying the, the guilt being the sudden turn because I mean, she already murdered somebody. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it seems like
3: if she was going to turn, it would be before that. But yeah, like the murdering Bruce should have broken her. You think? Yeah. Yeah. But instead it's Nerik following them. That's going to break her. Right. I wonder if she feels like they're going to figure out that she's the source or the, the tracker. But how would they know? You know, because they trust her, right? Although Rafi does have a few suspicions because every t- as the closer they get to Soji, of course, Girardi freaks out. So I'm not sure myself. Yeah, because it does kind of make sense that she would break earlier than later. Yeah, just uh, one of those things, I guess. It's one of the- it's just one of those things. One just of those one Star of those, Trek things. One of those space things, you know. Uh, you know, in <laughs> space, uh, lying's a little bit easier. Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh the murders is easier.
2: Murders is easier than uh being followed.
3: <laughs> uh in this in this bold new trek apparently so. Oh my god, we're being followed. Oh, I'm so guilty. Um Bruce, inject F me. You. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Bruce. You're a loose end. Gerardi must really love old detective movies when loose ends get, you know, sewn up. Yeah. She's she's down with that. Uh, one final thing on La Serena before we leave it is that Rio still wants to talk to Rafi about things because he still suspects her to a degree. And right. She says, <laughs> when she says, I hope it doesn't have anything to do with an airlock. And he says it might be uh, or it could. That, yeah. Uh, the WTF look that she gives him is fantastic. Yes. So I'm really enjoying my Rafi in these smaller quantities. I think as that supporting role, I think, that's, uh, I think it's a great role for Rafi the character. I think Michelle Hurd's a really good actress. Raffi in limited quantities is working for me.
2: Good, yeah. I uh, I think that that's probably the appropriate amount of, <laughs> the appropriate amount of Raffi. Yeah, I I
3: know. I think she was used well in this episode. Absolutely. Really good writing in in those two sections of the show, but just not we only get as Riker and Picard say later or at another part of the episode. We really only get baby steps there right so it, it, we get the baby steps it's serialized okay i wanted a couple more baby steps maybe cuz we really we really only get one baby step in each place
2: i liked i liked how Raffi was able to be useful in this episode to another
3: human being without them harking on how damaged she was right she got to do that herself right <laughs> but that's the thing is she she's showing utility she is useful um she she has that capacity to care for others and to help them out which is great right so I guess we're seeing some redeeming qualities in Rafi, too, and Rios, too, because he, you know, he flips out when when the emergency medical hologram calls him down. And he's he's concerned, of course. He's also concerned about about Jurati when he meets her in the medical bay anyway. So we are seeing these people caring about each other who may or may not have known each other for very long. Right. So we're getting there, I suppose. It's not just Elnor. Right. So are they truly a motley crew as Picard described them? Yes, the answer is yes. Uh, call Doctor Feelgood. Mm, I knew you were going to do that. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, I'm not that mad. Let's warp over to Nepente, please. Zoom. We see the, the first thing we see of Nepente is the uh, the bunny corn. Yes, strange. On first viewing, I thought, did that thing have a horn? And I, yeah, it was so quick to me, or maybe I wasn't paying attention that I didn't see it, or re- it didn't really resonate the first time around. And then I got it. The second viewing. So yeah. There it was. So we get to see something different. This isn't Earth.
2: It's the space, man. <laughs> it's um, that
3: space you hear about. Yeah. Where things, s- <laughs> where things have horns. We're somewhere else where things have horns. This is one of my weirds later, but uh, Picard and Soji show up or beam over or traject over or transmogrify right. over. I don't know. They walk out of the window. Kestra's there right away. Kestra, cool from moment one. Yeah. That is a cool kid. What's nice to me is it's uh, it's shown to us, not just handed to us, that Picard knows who the kid is. Then Kestra recognizes Picard after he says, uh, tells her about his heart, right? And says her name. So she knows who he is. Right. Um, so that was a nice bit of back and forth there. And it shows me that Picard is learning how to talk to kids. That's nice. But then. They, yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're getting somewhere. But then they, then they're on the long walk to to the Riker Troy household. And here's uh, here's another complaint. I have a few today. Okay. Picard has absolutely no tact here, and I think that is a writing flaw. I don't think that this is a flaw in his character, okay? I think this is a writing mistake. When Kestra asked, who was her father? I swear Picard was going to say, with the look on his face, I swear he was going to say, perhaps we'll discuss that later. Oh, yeah. I could, like, in my mind, I'm going, he's going to say, perhaps we'll discuss that later. Because why are you going to say this in front of the kid? Why are you going to tell Soji now? Right. <laughs> he just lays it out there in front of the kid and Soji. And they, they're not even at Riker and Troy's house. So what if Soji freaks out and runs away? What if Soji freaks out and kills Picard? Not that she would, but what, you know, what if she beats him up or something? Oh, my right. God. Picard yeah. has no, like that is he's so got short-sighted. No, he's
2: got no plan for this conversation. He's just yeah. casually walking and it's just like,
3: oh, I guess now's the time. Yeah, how can, because the kid brought it up. Yeah, right. Like you can't waylay the kid and go, we're going to talk about that over dinner. So keep talking, you two. You know, what the hell? I don't that that bugs me so bad. Um, They were going to have to talk at some point anyway, but it made no sense for Picard to initiate it there, even though the kid brought it up. Yeah, Yeah. no, I agree with that. Plus, in that moment, because he does bring it up and maybe not because he brings it up but because he's Picard, he shows compassion towards her. Okay, and then Soji says, just get on with the mind game. Which is awesome. Great line. Right, right, right. Okay, Picard isn't used to not earning someone's trust, I think. So that could be a character stumbling block for him for his actions later. But I just think it was a lousy writing choice to have him get into who her father was on this walk. It didn't make sense from Picard wouldn't do that. Right. You know, he's not a doddering old fool. He's still he's a diplomat. He still has tact. Right. Right. Gosh. It's like it's, you know, when any when any species came on the Enterprise, he didn't shake their hand or greet them and then say, hey, try not to eat my first officer. I know you like to taste a human or whatever. He wouldn't do that right. crap. <laughs> so,
2: yeah, no, I agree. Um, it was not the right moment. It
3: was very inopportune and uh, didn't it just came out of nowhere. Right. And why wouldn't he seize the moment? Like I said, he, why wouldn't he seize that moment to steer it somewhere else? That's what he does. Yeah, he, yeah. He should be able to get what he wants, even with a couple of kids. Now it it, it comes along later where Riker says something about being the uh, being around a teenager or what is essentially a teenager. Yes, we can get to that. There's a little bit of parallel there, but I'm still not on board. Yeah. What happens next? I'm so upset. Oh God, what happens next?
2: Let me see here. <laughs> yes, but I want to make a note that um, she's got a broken compass from Captain Crandall.
3: Oh sure, yes, uh, Kestra Crandall. Compass. Yes. <laughs> That's my mnemonic device for remembering that. Something. <laughs> right. And Captain Crandall, he's made up. He's new. We don't know who he is. He's made up. Yeah. He's um, just an off-screen captain who apparently is is a doddering old fool as opposed to Picard. Right. And it's weird that they talk about him so much. Uh, it is weird that they talk about him so much. That was one of my weirds. It, okay. It's <laughs> like, he's like Maddox Part Two. Yeah. You know, not to the same degree, but Captain Crandall, he's an old broken man. Oh, I texted Captain Crandall. I got this piece of information. I'm like, okay, like alright. Whatever. It's I, I like it and I don't, but we can we can talk about that as we go. Yeah, I mean they talk they talk about him so much that I'd be surprised if he doesn't show up later. I, I hope he does. Uh, if he's got resources that can help Picard on his quest, it'd yeah. be great. You know, yeah. or or if the Romulans show up later because they tracked La Serena's warp signature, blah 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 blah, blah Captain Crandall might be able to defend Nepente.
2: It also reminded me of The Simpsons, where uh, Homer says Bart's teacher's name's Krabappel. Yes, I've been calling her Crandall. Yes,
3: <laughs> that that occurred to me too. <laughs> I guess you know what though with that with that compass, maybe that's the symbolism that underlies our theme today. Finding the one's direction, the broken compass. Finding one's direction, even with a broken compass. Oh wow! Maybe that's it. Wow! I'm gonna I'm gonna retroactively change my theme. There you go. Uh, we figured it out, finding one's direction with a broken we, compass. We found our direction. One direction. Our true
2: nor one direction.
3: Hi, everybody. I'm Harry Styles for Making It So, Picard Reviewed. That's what he sounds like. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm the other guy for One Direction. You know, the... Okay, I'm done. <laughs> okay, so was, let's get to this reunion for Crying Out Loud. Troy, Riker, Picard, together again. Yay. Yay. Yeah, they're all hugging. They're all hugging. Um, did you notice that they're living in a lodge-style home that recalls Riker's Alaskan roots? Yes, I did notice that. I'm glad you noticed that. First thing that – one of the first things Troy says to Picard is you're in trouble. You're in trouble. How bad, right? Yeah. She's reading him, uh, which is what she does, right? I, I, I also think, though, when she's looking at him, I think she's looking for the Eremontic Syndrome. I really think she is. Oh, interesting. Because, you know, she's saying, how are you? And he's saying, I'm fine. I'm fine. I really think that – that word has gotten around that he's got this little thing in his brain. Right. And then when she introduces herself to Soji and Picard says, Dr. Soji, blah, blah, Azure. blah. And she yeah. says, just Soji. Um, right. I'm going to keep talking about how great Soji is in this episode and how great Issa Baronis is as Soji this episode. I think as Soji has broken through the looking glass, literally, like in the last episode, we're getting to see more character from her rather than just, you know, just kind of a mild mannered doctor who might be something that she's not. She has to deal with being something that she didn't think she was. And this is great for her as a character. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, this was Soji's best episode, I think. I care about her now. I mean, I did before, yeah. but now I'm like, okay, we got to protect this kid. <laughs> or this guy. I think, I think her and her interplay with Kestra especially was uh, oh, some man. of the best stuff. Best stuff in the episode. Absolutely. And so we're showcasing Soji, but we're also showcasing this kid Kestra. And this kid actress is phenomenal. I don't know where this kid came from. Oh, no, no, she's great. You know, Trek has a long history of having a hard time writing for kids and and casting kids that are good as kids. This is their best one. Definitely. Um, Yeah. Concur. Yeah. Yeah. So we know um, Picard, his plan is in tatters. That's what he's telling uh, Troy and Riker. But then we get to Kestra and Soji bonding and Kestra comes across as genuinely curious and concerned for Soji. Here's the thing, though. In that scene. Uh, when Soji's getting out of the shower and then they go into one of the bedrooms and they're talking, characters are telling each other things we already know. That's bugged us throughout the series so far. But this time they're talking about Data. We love and miss him. Is, is that OK, Mike? Because we're talking about Data, who we love and miss. Yeah, I guess it is um, because our dead friend who's not here anymore. I guess, you know, we talk to we're, we're talking about them. I guess that makes sense. It's kind of OK.
2: I thought it was okay just because of the way that Kestra was. I, I like you said, just because she's such a good actress. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that just the the energy that she brought to it and the
3: the earnestness and the yeah. you know um, that's a good word for it. The earnestness and just being accepting of Soji as she is. Yeah, you're an android. Cool. Do you play the violin? You know, just she's right yeah. into it.
2: It's so great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Um, so I think
3: that that all, that all read for me and worked well. Yeah, that was nice. Then we get into Thad's room, Troy and Picard. Uh, I think uh Troy I think Marina Sirtis plays that grief brilliantly. I mean they kept Thad's room. They're obviously still grieving. Yeah. And she has that she has the veneer of we're fine, but that doesn't last at all because when Picard says this has to be really hard for you too, she immediately changes the subject, right? It's so good to see. All oh, right. Yeah. Right? So in that little moment, that's really good writing there. Uh because we're getting we're understanding her grief. Excuse me, we know that they're overprotective of kestra because they don't want to lose their second child have having already lost their first but they do want to help picard as much as they can so knowing that he's in trouble when he shows up they are trying to balance these two things protecting their kid (laughs) and i wonder if that's why i wonder if that's why Riker left starfleet or at least went on active reserve in the first place after thad passed away they didn't want to risk being out in space um on a starship with their kid and losing their second kid Yeah, that's a possibility for sure. I really wonder if we're going to get more backstory on that because that kid is really compelling. She was. Yeah. And, you know, taking on everything that the brother did, inventing all these languages and that sort of thing. Really cool stuff. Really cool Mm -hmm. kid stuff this time. Enjoyable kid stuff. Enjoyable kid stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Riker and Picard are talking out by the the pizza oven. Uh, The soil has regenerative powers, Riker says. That's an obvious reference to Thad's illness. Right. Right. And then we get the data tilt when Soji shows up. Yes. Um, So this is, I was teasing this a little bit earlier. I think later in the episode, maybe it's, I don't remember at what moment. Somebody, uh, I think Kester asked her, have you ever had pizza before? And Soji says, yes. Okay. So it's not the pizza that has piqued Soji's curiosity. I don't think it's the pizza oven that's piqued your curiosity. Uh, Somebody brought this up on Twitter and I think it tracks. What shape is pizza? It's a circle. How did Riker cut the tomatoes? They're circular. I I really think that they consciously made that connection, like the Borg language and her necklace. Pizza is circular. Really? It's also delicious. But here's the thing. I I really wonder if that's why she tilted her head. That was somebody's theory on Twitter, and I'm going with it. Is that she saw a circle? She's seeing circles, and she's going, hey, that looks familiar. I, I don't know. I'm going with it, though. I think that's great, if it, if that's at all true. Can you imagine, though, Mike? What if she saw an Audi? <laughs> what if she saw the Olympic flag, Mike? She, Her head would be clear off. <laughs> I'm experiencing positronic overload. Yeah, it would be over <laughs> for her. But if, if that's it, that's kind of cool. If it's not, oh, well, swing and a miss, but I thought it was kind of a cool idea. Yeah. But I really hope that she is not easily fascinated by circles. And you know, like a raccoon with a shiny object. Soji has mucus. And Soji does have mucus. That's a canon connection to m- mucus. To uh, <laughs> I don't know. Reg- to Reginald Barkley, who also uh, had mucus. The mucusiest <laughs> crewman of them all,
1: <laughs> Reg Barkley.
3: <laughs> yes, she does have mucus. That was a fun little line because that—that's uh, just one of those things that's starting to tie those two together. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and it's also just kind of a kid. You know, a kid it is a thing. kid
3: thing. Yeah. Mucus is fun to talk about. Yeah. Riker deduces the plot in a really fun way. But again, we already know this stuff. But once again, it's more of a fun way to do this as opposed to I'm going to sit here and tell you everything that's happened so far. He's guessing at it and he's getting everything right because he's right. that damn good. Right. Um. So that one, once again, that one's pretty much okay for me. I'm starting to tire of it <laughs> at this point in the episode. But at the same time, when Picard, you know, asked to help himself to the wine, did you notice how he checked the label of the bottle and then, you know, gave the wine a sniff before tasting it because he is a vintner. I didn't notice that. That's uh, a good I thought that was a good little thing. He said, well, what is this? Yeah, <laughs> that he wanted to <laughs> check it out and maybe maybe judge it for its qualities against his own. Who knows? Get some. Yeah, ideas. yeah. Um, one thing in good. that conversation I didn't like was the classic Picard arrogance line. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't get he's that. He's not classically arrogant. He's not at all classically arrogant. He was the captain and he got to make decisions. You're right, Riker, but he always exhausted all avenues. Right. Unless Riker at that point is referring to dealing with a teenager, that being more difficult than captaining the Enterprise, I guess it might make sense. But for me, it it just tracked as that classic Picard arrogance. I'm like, what classic Picard arrogance? Or is it the perceived arrogance that everybody else has of him? I don't know. If it's the perceived one, then it tracks. I mean, unless it's
2: the arrogance of the show that we've seen of him and people have just known him the last you know, 20 years and he's grown this arrogant because hes he's certainly arrogant in
3: the show. Yeah. And maybe that's just the result of hiding away at the Chateau for all those years writing history books. And he, you know, he says that later on, he mentions that idea again. So maybe that is, maybe that's the arrogance that's being referred to um, because it does seem pretty arrogant to resign from Starfleet when you don't get your way and leave a lot of people in the lurch. Right. So maybe that's what they're talking about, but I I don't, I don't know if I would call that classic. So maybe, maybe we've talked ourselves out of that one, that complaint. Hmm. 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 Indeed.
2: Well, we do get some more of uh, someone telling the plot later <laughs> when Picard,
3: Picard tells Soji all about it yep. at dinner. Yep. Well, we also get some with Troy and Soji talking in the garden, right? Oh, yeah. So, But we do get a message there, at least. We're laying, we're laying it down here. You know, Soji being an android isn't bad because a synth, a synth could have saved Thad's life. Right. And the idea that uh, we need home worlds, which is where I was starting to get that theme from. But I'm going to go with the uh, the busted compass one finding direction. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: Um, Also, in that conversation, the music kind of gets weird in the second part. It almost as Troy's talking about something, the music almost sounded sinister. And I was like, oh, my God, is she going to cuss her out like for, (laughs) you know, but it was a synth band. It's not her fault. It was a weird musical turn. But then it kind of went back to being more contemplative. I don't know if that was, I don't know. I'd have to go back and listen to it again. It was a weird turn for a second. Like it was going to get dark. But this is the part again where hearing characters learn, other characters learn about what we already know. Right. (sighs) So to me, it's slow. But then Soji says again, she says, it's Troy. I don't trust anyone. And it gets good again because she's starting to process her unworldly, unhuman, inhuman situation. Right. And then prepare yourself, Mike, because Picard shows up and says the dumbest thing he's ever said.
1: <laughs> okay. Yes, this is yeah. another
3: writing blunder. Okay, we talked about his lack of tact walking up to Riker's place. Yeah, why do they feel that he should be so dismissive of Soji? There,
1: he I has already know. shown
3: compassion for her and Dodge He's I on freaking mission for him. Why did he? They feel the need for him to be a dick. I don't know, and he really was. He's he like was. He's like, yeah, we're gonna be. Totally taking you apart in a couple minutes, jerk. (laughs) (laughs) Totally tubular. We're taking you for a ride, Soji. Once again, he's a diplomat. He's a starship captain. So even if he's been out of the game for years, he hasn't lost his basic manners or shouldn't have. He always attempted to uphold the dignity of anybody he met and tried to help. So why is he changing his tune here? Okay. It's way out of character and it's a horribly sour note for me. I can't let it slide. It's too much. But Troy gives him a tongue lashing after that. And totally she deserved. Does. And it's great. Totally deserved. Great for the yeah. character. But here's the thing. It wasn't necessary for Picard to be a dick to get Troy to talk to him about Soji's experience. What if Picard and Troy are talking privately and he says, yeah, she probably thinks we're going to torture her to death. And then, then she can, then Troy can still say the same thing. But Picard doesn't have to smear it in Soji's face. Right. Okay. The content's fine. The way it was delivered, I thought, was poor. Yeah. Ugh.
2: Yeah, it was a really... Awkward,
3: gross color on Picard. Yeah, and it, and it just doesn't track because he doesn't act like, like he was brash when he was younger and said stupid things and got run through the heart by a Nausicaan. Okay, he was 20. He's 93 now or 94. <laughs> He's learned his lesson. He's not going to do that. Yeah. And I'm not like, this is not me upholding the statue of Picard. He just wouldn't do it. Ugh. <laughs> it's not in his character. So, Michael Shabon, let's have words.
2: yeah. I'm looking at you, Samantha Humphrey. Yeah, it's her fault. Too. Humphrey, you're not, you're
3: not getting, you're not getting out of here, Scott Free. <laughs> okay, Mike, we're gonna split them up. You take Chabon, I take Humphrey. <laughs> but at least that's that seems punctuated by Riker getting to say Red Alert or cancel Red Alert. That was yes, funny. yeah, I enjoyed that. It was also great when he said Shields up. I was like, ah, oh, just like old times. And we know that they were going for that, and that was wonderful. It was a, it was a salve, right? It was just soothing my soul. Right. Uh, so then I think we get to, I think we get to the dinner table, uh, later on. Yeah. This is just, this is just a voice thing for me. Patrick Stewart actually sounds like Picard at the table because so far in the series, he's had that kind of old man fry in his voice. Mm -hmm. You know, the, uh, the creakiness, that (laughs) strain I'm old, but in this scene, because Troy has, you know, beat him over the head with it. He's gotten the message. He's warm and open. And the way he says, listen to the timber of my voice see what I'm blah, 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 blah. I don't remember the line. But it actually sounded like Patrick Stewart did as Picard 20-something years ago. And plus, it it works in that moment because he's being as warm as he can possibly be and he's making amends with Soji. And he once again talks about how he's motivated. He's alive again. We already knew that. So this is where it's starting to get old because Soji's telling her story. We know her story. Picard's telling his story. We know his story. Right. Mm. But... And here's another one of those emotional moments, okay? So, Hughes moments, that was emotional oomph. When Picard says, I'm motivated now, there's not, a, there's not a hell of a chance that you or anyone else can stop me. I'm pounding the table. That was it. Like, emotional heft. He's getting it, right? He gets it now. He didn't need to be addicted to Soji for him to get it, though, right? Yeah. I still don't appreciate that. But when he says, there's no, there's no way you or anyone else can stop me. I'm in, okay? That was the line. He's ready. He's reinvested. And I'm thinking, okay, off we go. But then we get more of what we already know. Right. (laughs) (laughs) No! (laughs) You know, I'm like, yes, let's get up. Let's get on that ship. Let's go.
2: Well, I'm curious what, like, what is the end point for Picard now? Because, like, he's got Soji. Yeah. Is he, like, is his goal to protect her for the rest of her life?
3: Well, his stated goal now, or at least he never really had a plan. But now his plan is... La Serena's is going to show up and they're going to go to Soji's home world. In that right. moment, he doesn't know what her home world is, but he wants to get her there to protect her because he feels there's he said it, he says it. It's twofold, right? I want to protect you and help you because you're the essentially the daughter of my friend. And two, I was wasting my life for the last 14 years and I've got a mission now and you're my mission. So, I mean, and, and is that enough? I think it's enough. I guess so. But it took three episodes at the start of the series to state that, wherein yeah. he says it in seven seconds here at the dinner table, <laughs> over um, bunny corn sausage pizza with yeah. fresh basil and tomato. Yeah. Um. But then. Uh, but then uh, you know, Soji tells more of a story, and but then Picard says thoughts. And looks at Troy and Riker. That's like, just like the captain he was. Okay? That was good. He's yeah. gathering thoughts. Okay. Right. J- Cause maybe he is pretending it's the ready room table, just like, uh, or, yes. sorry, or the, what's the other one? The observation lounge. I don't know which one she said, but maybe he is pretending that that's that. And he's gotten some information. He says thoughts. He shuts down Worf's suggestion and then asks for everybody else <laughs> to give theirs. Right. So he can make an informed decision. So to me, they're contradicting themselves here. You know, you don't need him being a dick to make this, have this realization and actually do what he needs to do. You don't need him being so rude. He's not arrogant. Maybe he is to a degree at this point, but he's not closed minded and he's not a curmudgeon. He knows how to interact with people. Okay. And we see it. So why does he have that, those two slides, the one intact and the one in just being caring? Yeah. Mm. And they're big sticking points for me.
2: Yeah, uh, I don't know. I by
3: both of those, I agree with. Um, I don't. I, yeah, I don't know. Um, last thing about I'll say about that scene though, I love that the kid has a pad under the table. That's a great 21st century connection to what any kid oh, sure. looks like right now. <laughs> yeah, know, I got my phone under the table while I eat my mac and cheese or whatever it is. You know, right? Avoid eating my cauliflower. <laughs> She's calling Crandall. I know she's she's texting Crandall. <laughs> <laughs> I I found your world. It's great. I do love that Kestra is the one that solves it. And it's quick and easy. But uh, the Crandall thing is weird. So I really hope we do get more from Crandall. But I love that yeah. Kestra is the problem solver.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just it is a weird way for her to have solved the problem to go through this other character that we don't know. Yeah. Um. Instead of just Googling it or, you know, <laughs> right. or narrowing using it down or something. Giving right. The having, having, so have her have some
3: sort of, you know, knowledge of star systems yeah. or something like that. How um, big were the moons? Right. So Kester could just be like, how big were the moons? How far apart were they? Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, what kind something of trajectory like that. were they on as far as orbit? Right. How cool would it have been if Kester was like able to, like, first of all, Soji would know that because she's an android and all this stuff would be in her. uh, All this information would be inside of her. And if she brought that out and then Kester was able to extrapolate that and go, boom, here it is. That'd have been cool. Yeah. But that's all the more reason that I think this Crandall guy is going to appear. Crandall. I can only hear Homer saying that. Crandall. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we got ourselves a meta alert as, uh, not medic alert, but meta alert as Picard and Riker are walking after the dinner or the next day. Uh, Picard says about his new crew, he says they seem to carry more baggage than you ever did. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, and then when they're on the dock, they're talking, trying to tell him to do something he doesn't want to do. Once again, he's not that hard headed. He listens to advice or did. So if it's light ribbing, it's fine, but it didn't come across that way to me. But I, if I watch it again, maybe I will. Interpreted as light ribbing from Riker, which I think it was. I need to go back and watch. Interesting. It was a beautifully shot scene, though. I wanted to go there and just uh, relax and let my worries melt away. Nepenthe. And hope no uh, Kinsenti showed up. Yeah. Welcome uh, to Nepenthe. Get out of my pond. Actually, you would think, since they're a feline uh, species, that that would keep them away. Hmm. Riker needs a moat. <laughs> Riker needs a moat. That's the lesson. So one last thing at Nepenthe. Kester tries to talk Soji into trusting Picard. Once again, she's the best part, right? And then she yeah. hands over the compass. So that's our, that's our theme. That's our motif. That's our symbol alert. And she said, you just have to pretend it works. Uh, that's a yeah. great line, too. So look how quickly the kid won over Soji. Okay? Even if she doesn't trust anybody, why can't Picard do the same? I really hope right. that happens. It, it's got to happen. If it doesn't happen, then this whole thing's for naught. But why can't Picard do that in the same amount of time that Kestra did? Or why can't Picard at least be nice? i'm still stuck on that (laughs) yeah yeah
2: picard is a jerk yeah that's pretty much the moral of this whole
3: series (laughs) yeah all right if that wasn't weird enough there are other things that are weird
2: wasn't that weird
3: so we talked about the mind meld without consent so O is not nice either when Picard and Soji walk through the trajectory onto Nepenthe, Soji falls on her face. Picard doesn't that was weird, um funny, but weird, yeah, another thing that was weird was then I already mentioned it is that uh Star Trek writers wrote a kid really well, that was yeah.
1: weird, <laughs> that so is weird,
3: weird talked about Captain Crandall. Thanks for the assist, old man. Who we haven't seen on screen yet. Right. But you're a wonderful plot point. Way back in the episode Lonely Among Us, Riker said to um that one species that was trying to eat the other species, even though they're trying to get into the Federation, Riker said that humans no longer enslave animals for food. Oh, right. But I guess if you're hunting bunny corn, therefore it is fair, you know. It's a wild animal, it's fair Free game. Free range, yeah. Free yeah. range fair game. But it, I was reminded of that. I thought, oh, they're eating sausage. But he said, but he said, enslave animals for food. Still, it was still a little weird in that moment. And it's not the same structure that they're sitting on uh, uh, upon the pond. But it sure looks a lot like the location where Jake and Cisco were fishing in the episode Emissary, the premiere Aww. of DS9.
2: Sure. I thought the bunny corn itself was weird, just yeah. that it evolved that way <laughs> to have a horn on its head and a venom sack and look just like a bunny. Like, what a weird creature. Yep. Um, (laughs) Makes me wonder what else the animals on that planet look like. Yeah, let's find out. What else is running
3: around there? Yeah. Um, The wild girl of the forest can help us.
2: Yes. What else is weird? Uh, Captain Crandall. um, Crandall. (laughs) Captain Connor Crandall. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I thought it was weird that Elnor had the Fenris Rangers tag thing. I don't know where he got that. It was just
3: sitting there. He found it. So Wait, so he, yeah, he just so conveniently found it.
2: I I I saw it. I, I I know it was hanging there, but I assumed that he had just like set it hanging there for a second to look at it while he was like brooding. Oh, I thought he, he just, pressed it. I,
3: I thought he just found it. Because why would he have one?
2: I don't know. That's why I thought it was weird. I I thought it was weird. weird that he took it. I better go but, back and
3: watch. I wonder if I wonder if Hugh gave it to him or Picard just left it behind. I don't know. We should check that out. That is weird.
2: otherwise. I mean, if he found it, I guess are we to assume it was Hughes?
3: Not sure. I need to go Our, back and watch those parts. Uh,
2: yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't think it was clear at all
3: who's yeah. where. Where it came from, it was
2: just like in the sure. shot. It was just dangling in front of him.
3: Yeah, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And he uh, just DSX. like sees it and presses it. Yeah. <laughs> yay. Uh, seven's coming. Right. I hope it is. Um, so that was major weird. Yeah. All right. Are you ready to grade this thing? Sure. Let's do it. All right. This is where we get killed.
2: It has finally come to
3: making the grade. Not a ton happens. We get some baby steps. More exposition of things we already know. Uh, Troy, Riker, and Kestra get a big yay from me. Especially Kestra. But it's not enough to override the same problems the series has had so far that we mentioned. Okay? We're, yeah. we're being told things we already know. We're getting baby steps. We're getting more questions than answers. That part's fine. It's how it works. I, I can get behind that. The good news is we, we, we reached some kind of a moment where something had to give with Girati. Here's the other thing. She's in a coma right now. She has to wake up eventually. Guess who'll be on the ship at that time. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> and at the moment they have the Romulans confounded, which is pretty cool. Um, if the writers screw with Riker's family, I think there will be riots in the streets. That said, well, they already gave him a kid that, that they killed. Well, yeah, off screen's fine, but if they screw with Kestra, I think you're going to see riots in the streets. Oh yeah. So, but the kid's great. Once again, like the cinematography is awesome. Yeah. The direction's awesome. The set decorating, the lighting, everything is so cool. Uh, they even stepped back from the weird lens flurry lights this time. It just seemed like more of a regular episode of television. All that said, eh, I'm going to go a B. Yeah. Uh,
2: I think I'm right there with you on a B. Yeah. I enjoyed the Riker Troys. I thought that uh, Troy dressing down Picard for being a dick, especially, was a good moment. Yep. Um, I think that Kestra was probably the standout performance of the episode. Definitely. I thought that Hugh was needlessly killed. Yeah, I didn't even mention that. Boo. Yeah. <laughs> so, so ups and downs, but overall, uh, I'd say
3: B Yeah, B. Boom. BNB. B. I think that does it for us. We've been talking a long time. Yeah. Find us online at making it so on Insta and on Twitter. I'm mostly on Twitter. I don't even know if We use the Instagram. Uh, Email us at makingitsopod at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook. You can search for Making It So Facebook group. There's a page and a group. Follow both those things. Why not? Make your life doubly miserable. And uh, interact with us. We're we're throwing some stuff out there. Uh, Let's talk Trek. I like that, Trek.
2: Yeah, exactly. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week. Stay safe out there.
0: Crandall.